Hello and welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, talking today and every day that you tune in about the business of agriculture, the fundamental issues impacting food, fuel, and fiber. You're a business person, you're an agriculturist. So am I. Welcome to the show. You have found your place. Today, we are going to sleep with the enemy. Today, we are going to go into the lion's den. Today, we're going to talk organic agriculture. Be all honest here with you. I'm not anti-organic agriculture. Some people think that I am. Some people that are zealots, some of the people who look at the non-GMO verified label and worship it, probably believe that I am anti-organic. I'm not anti-organic at all. I'm an agricultural guy, agricultural economics degree, dairy farm background. I support any thing that you can do in this industry to make a living. Let's face it, it's not easy out here. We know the marketplace is going to keep evolving. It would be foolish for any of us in agriculture to not look at some of the numbers and say there's a trend toward organic. There's a disconnect between conventional organic and uh, I think the consumer marketplace has a lot of confusion. We can all admit that there is some cloudy uh, shall we say, misinformation that the consumer falls for because they don't grow food. They don't produce crops. They have never harvested an animal. So I have an opinion that value-added agriculture is the future of profit margins. I have an opinion that we will end up having two distinct classes, and more so than it already is. We do have this already, where there's going to be commodity and there's going to be niche. There's going to be 12,000 acre operators that grow soybeans and corn and wheat and whatever it is should be, barley. And there are going to be people that have to carve out their own niche. Now, will they be as big? Probably not. But they might be as profitable because there tend to be higher profit margins with uh, smaller scale or niche-oriented products. We're talking today on the Business of Agriculture about organic food, organic farming, and the organic marketplace. So, in keeping your friends close and your enemies closer, that's what they say in The Godfather, in keeping your friends close and your enemies closer, I'm sitting in the Ambriel Earthworm Barn. That's right. This is uh, Andy Ambriel's father and mother's business. He was raised here. Typical story in the Midwest, if you want to ask me. They were farmers. They had a hog operation, farrowing to finish. 1990s, we're seeing, what, 12-cent pigs, 14-cent pigs. Can't make a living doing that. Obviously, a lot of people went out in the 90s, late 90s. They got into earthworms. Along comes Andy Ambriel, young, enterprising young man, FFA member, good student, graduated from high school six months early, in fact. Smart kid sees that maybe there's something out there beyond just your basic conventional corn, beans, and hog operation. So he became an organic farmer, starting with a tomato house, an organic tomato house. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about organic farming and organic agriculture here today on the Business of Agriculture with me, your host, Damian Mason, and I am so glad to welcome Andy Ambriel. Andy, say hello to our friends. Hi, everybody, and thanks, Damien, for having me today. You know, I got to tell the fans here that uh, and listeners, I'm, some of them may just be listeners, not fans. Let's face it, you are one of those yourself. I do, I do need to point out to our listeners how Andy and I came into uh, contact. We're actually from the same part of the world, and he's been in one of my shows. He's watched me. He's been an audience member, but he didn't tell me that. He instead stalked me on social media. Stalked me, didn't you? 
Oh, I don't think it was stalking. No, just having fun. I think he sought me out to be an adversary. Now, remember, if you keep up with any of my stuff, and I hope you all do, at Damian P. Mason is my Twitter handle. That's where Andy Ambriel found me. And then, obviously, Damian Mason, professional speaker, is my Facebook page. I'm all over LinkedIn. I'd love for you to join me. And if you do, you might see a gentleman from Bio Steward Farms. That's right. That's the guy I'm talking to right now. Andy Ambriel, BioSteward Farms was his name, and he was reaching out all the time and criticizing my commentary on the fraudulent marketing of organic agriculture or the shortcomings of organic agriculture. So, Andy, tell him from your perspective, how did it go? I was just minding my own business, and you started fighting with me online, right? Oh, I don't know if it was quite like that. You know, when you poke a hornet's nest, you get one or two of them coming out at you. But... Uh... You know, just like it might be a John Deere and Case rivalry or a, you know, IU or Purdue rivalry, uh, you know, it's all, all in good fun. Uh, you know, we can talk about different things, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're all farmers and we're all trying to, to feed people. So uh, there's there's a few differences, but uh, it's all in good fun. So Mr. Ambriel and I did not know each other face to face. He knew who I was. I knew who he was. He was a, a bit of a, an antagonist, shall we say, on my online presence. But that's fine. And by the way, he's just as good in real life. Remember, I talk about this a lot. I think we have internet balls. I think the internet has created people that have a lot more balls and backbone than they ever would in real life. Glad to say that Andy's not that way. I pulled in here. I stepped out of my car, and he said, is this what, City Farmers Drive, Nissan Altimus? Actually, it's a Maxima, yes. But apparently today, since I'm doing business and not doing farm stuff, I was not allowed to drive my business car. All right, I do digress. Andy Ambriel, organic farmer, northeastern Indiana, and online agitator with Damian Mason. We think this is so great to have you on here. We're going to be talking about organic agriculture. More importantly... Give us some perspective here. You grew up on a farm right here where we're sitting, but it was not an organic farm. Give me some perspective. No, it wasn't. Uh, you know, uh, growing up on a farm, you know, you, you either learn to love it or you learn to hate it. And uh, I guess you could say fortunately or unfortunately, I learned to love it. And, uh, you know, growing up, going through uh, middle school and high school years, you know, you start talking about careers and, you know, your parents try to push you one way or the other. And, Unfortunately, my parents were pushing away from farming. Um, you know, we had just gone through the tough times with hogs. Uh, commodity markets weren't that great at that time period. And, you know, bottom line is there just really wasn't much of a future uh, farming the way that uh, they had been farming uh, throughout their years and had been making a good living doing prior to the, that time period. People who are listening right now that are in the business of agriculture, which is why they're paying attention to this podcast, are saying, wow, I've heard that story before. I graduated from high school in 1988, meaning that I came through the roaring days of the 70s as a kid when we didn't do well. We were poor dairy people didn't have hardly any holdings. We saw the old corn beans in Florida farmer of the 1970s, and then along came a thing called 1981 and 1982. Absolute washout. By 1988, they thought, why are you going to Purdue to be an agronomy major? I was going to be an agronomist. It's too much science. Of course you shouldn't have gone into agriculture if you look back at any of that time frame. You decided, no, this is my calling. This is what I want to do. I'm going to do it. So how'd you start? I got started uh, when I was 16 years old, still in high school with the tomato greenhouse. Uh, I bought it used from a lady. She was growing herbs. Uh, she encouraged me to keep up uh, doing it organically just because of the ease of marketing and the added profit profitability. 
Um, I always liked Grayson Tomatoes um, and had, had you know experience with those, so that's what I decided to pursue. should tell you again, maybe I didn't mention already, this gentleman I'm talking to is only 29 years old. So he's been involved in the business of agriculture his whole life, actually put his own money and his own sweat out there, like many of us have, as a young guy at age 16. Yep. All right. Did your tomatoes make money the first year? The first year, no. Um, it took two or three years. Uh, number one, just kind of learning to grow inside. Uh, there's a lot of variables you can control, but uh, there's a lot of variables still that uh, you can't control. Um, so, no, it took me a year or two to get a good crop um, and to get profitable. So you made money and by the third year? Yeah. Good yep. for you. Speaking of money, the ag economy is not flying as high as it was just a few years back, particularly on your basic commodities. Now, everybody says that, well, corn, soybeans, wheat may be not making as much money, but the poor livestock people, when the corn and the soybeans and the wheat were way, way high, we forgot about them. I didn't, but a lot of people did. So in general, the ag economy, you can say, is not quite where it once was of 2013, let's say. But I'd say there's a lot of sectors are still at least getting by fine. They got some skinny margins, but they're doing okay. What's the impact on organic production for you? Organic uh, has, the prices have come down a little bit, not nearly significantly as much as uh, commodities. The current organic prices are still uh, pretty profitable, um, around $9.50 for corn, uh, $18 for soybeans. Um, so those, those are still pretty attractive prices. For you non-corn soybean people that are hearing this right now, it is the fall of 2017, and the comparative would be about $3.80 on the conventional corn and about $9.60 on soybeans? I'd say that's probably pretty strong price for corn. Okay, 350, 340, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 350, 340 on corn, and uh, about nine and a half to 960 on soybeans. So he's talking two and a half to three times on the corn price, and about uh, double on the soybean price for organic. I didn't tell you all uh, completely about Andy's operation, but I will now, and he's going to tell you more about himself. Andy is a an organic operator. And he started this thing uh, several years ago with tomatoes. Tell them about what you produce now. Now I'm mainly uh, corn, soybeans, wheat, and barley. Um, I got started a couple years after I started the greenhouse. Uh, started 50 acres through the organic transition that I had rented from my dad. Uh, started half corn, half soybeans that first year, and then uh, went through the rotation on it. So. And by the way, I think that our listeners, a lot of folks will are saying, oh, man, I don't know, this organic guy, Damon's got this organic guy, what, he got like 43 acres back behind his log cabin? Tell him how many acres you produce. Uh, today, I'm farming about 1,100 acres, so that's one of the big things with organic is, is to start small, because there is a definite learning curve on it, so I would not want to start with 1,000 acres day one. Uh, because you'd probably lose your shorts. No, but my point is a lot of folks that are dismissive of this as an industry would say, oh, yeah, organic because he's got 14 acres back here that he just, uh, you know, grows some marijuana in the fence row and, and you know, goes out and walks around barefoot. 1,100 acres is no small agricultural enterprise. Many of the people around this part of the world, that would be a, a average to touch below average farm operation. A lot of 2,000-acre operators, I'd say. So Andy's at 1,100 acres. Tell me about barley. We do not grow barley in the state of Indiana, but you do. Yeah, barley's been a pretty good uh, crop uh, for me the last couple of years. Uh, it comes off early, so I can double crop soybeans off of it, and it's a, it's a really good uh, feed crop as well. So you can substitute it up to about 90% of what you would feed corn. 
there's there's a lot of good energy in it, uh, as well as fiber. Who's your buyer for barley? Uh, mainly uh, chicken growers and dairy people. Uh, there's a couple feed mills up north that I sell to. Is it because they want to have organic barley? Yeah, they're growing it because it's it's an organic feed grain. They don't specifically want barley, but they use it as part of their ration because it's readily available. So it, it, it qualifies as organic. So if they're a organic chicken facility or again organic uh, dairy, and they need to make sure they've got organic feedstuffs, they'll feed barley because it meets the organic label, and it also is available because of you. Yeah, yep. And it's available at a different time of the year. Rather than waiting until October, November, they've got it in July. Yeah, yep. And a lot of time during the summer times is uh, one of the highest market prices of the year because, you know, nobody wants to hold their, their grain that long. So uh, they, they do kind of like to have something coming off in the summer and then not have to be able to feed old corn. They've got new crop coming off. So that barley comes off and you double crop it. And then the only thing about uh, organic is that, uh, first off, there's the qualifications. Tell our listeners to be qualified as an organic barley, corn, soybean, wheat farmers. The criteria in a nutshell. Uh, just, yeah, the quick and dirty would be uh, no chemical fertilizers, uh, pesticides, anything like that for three years. Um, you know, you have to leave uh, field border strips if you're bordering a conventional neighbor. Um but, you know, most of the time people want to talk about what organic isn't, you know, no, no chemical fertilizers, no, no herbicides, no pesticides, things like that. Um, but, but really, you know, you want to encourage the biological activity uh, and, and work more with the, the natural processes than just, you know, spraying, adding nutrients and things like that. So obviously no atrazine, no glyphosate, nope. no chemical fertilizers, uh, a good bit more tillage. Yes. All right. So tell me about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, definitely I, I'm using more tillage than a, a standard uh, no-till farmer. Um, probably using comparable tillage uh, to a standard conventional uh, till farmer. Um, I don't use any fall tillage. I'm, I'm only tilling in the spring or ahead of uh, planting crops. Um, and I also feel... The tillage is, is necessary to, to kill the cover crop, but at the same time, all that organic matter is kind of adding a buffer, so you're not really damaging the soil as much as if you were just tilling uh, as typical in, in our region, like you know fall chisel plowing and then uh, running a soil finisher in the spring. There's not a whole lot of organic matter there to, to buffer that effect. So I, I'm, I generally am opposed to fall tillage from the standpoint that I, I'm a soil protection kind of guy. I say all the time that soil is agriculture's most valuable asset. Uh, you and I both know they're selling it in where we're from for six to $8,000 an acre. And I think that we are going to look back someday and we're going to say, can you believe those people back in the 1990s and the 2000s knew what they knew and they still left their precious asset bare for six months a year? Yep. Oh. Yeah, most farms only only are using their ground maybe half a year, maybe five months, maybe less than half a year. Are you a cover crop guy? Oh, yeah. Yep. I have a cover crop every acre every year. I mean, I, I've got something green and growing as close to 365 days a year as possible. All right. We're talking to Andy Ambrill, Bio Steward Farms. You can follow him on Twitter as he follows me and, I should say, fights with me. And that's it's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Remember, here on the Business of Agriculture with me, your host, Damian Mason, we talk about the business of food, fuel, and fiber. 
And we'd be silly not to point out that organic is a growing market segment. I'm going to pull some numbers here for you now. This is the news release from the National Ag Statistics Service. Great source of information. I commonly look at their stuff if I'm going to talk about almonds or if I'm going to go learn uh, before I talk to the cranberry audience. Ladies and gentlemen, maybe you didn't know this, maybe you did. United States Farms in the year 2016 sold $7.6 billion in certified organic commodities. $7.6 billion. That is up 23% from 2015. So this is a growing market segment. The number of certified acres increased 15% nationwide to 5 million acres. There are a number of certified organic farms in the country has increased 11% to 14,217. I'm talking to one of those 14,217 organic farmers right here with Andy Ambriel. Andy, what are your thoughts on those kind of numbers? I mean, you look at the numbers and, and you look at those growth, growth percentages, uh, they're, they're very impressive in the food industry where uh, basically the, the growth tries to keep up with inflation or goes flat. Um, or population. Yeah. Usually the only growth we have is because we gained a, a couple million more people. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so the, the growth numbers are, are impressive. Uh, when you look at the overall numbers, you know, 5 million certified organic acres, that's not very much, especially when you consider a lot of that is pasture and rangeland out west. Uh, so, so no, yeah, it's, it's growing, but, but it's still very small. Uh, I think probably between 1% to 2% uh, of farmland is, is certified organic. One of the articles that I read says that about 4% of grocery purchases are certified organic. So in terms of what it takes from the land to make that, uh, you know, we, we have that going on. So it is a growing segment. Now, one of my critiques, one of my, uh, I guess, uh, criticisms of organic, and I try and tell people that say, I'm an environmentalist, that's why I buy organic. And I say, that's fine, you should be able to buy whatever you want. It's a consumer-driven marketplace. We work for you. But let's not confuse with in environmentalism and some of those beliefs with organic. You use more fuel. Yes. You use more tillage, which does increase compaction. Now, you balance the compaction with having cover crops, and you also balance the – sometimes we have an erosion increase because of compaction, but you have cover crops all the time to prevent the erosion. But we do use more fuel, mm -hmm. and we do use more acres to produce less product, and I always remind of our environmental argument about that. How do you respond? Yeah, I mean, there, it's no doubt uh, if you're trying to win, win a yield contest, you're not going to be a certified organic farmer. Uh, you know, typical yields are probably – 10 to 20% less uh, than, than an average conventional yield uh, is where I'm kind of coming in. You think you're about how much? 20% less? 10 to 20%, yeah, depending on the year. A wet year like we're having this year, uh, probably at least 20%. Um, a dry year, um, I'm, I'm going to be probably uh, a little bit better, uh, typically just because um, better biological activity and I can retain a little bit more water. Um, but a wet year, you know, weed control passes are hard. If you can't get in the field, you know, you can't. You can't do weed control. You, if you miss critical timing stages, you can't come back later and make those up. Um, so you're, you're kind of fighting a, a downhill battle uh, when, when the weather turns too wet. All right. One of my other criticisms of organic is outfits like the non-GMO project that want desperately to make money for themselves. They have a staff. They are, I believe, out of Washington State. They are not out of Washington, D.C. They are not a U.S. government, USDA organization. A lot of our consumers don't understand that. They see the non-GMO project and they think, oh, this means it. My concern is they are less of a verifier 
and more of a cause group. Shall we say, if I bought an extension cord at the hardware store and it says UL listed, I would know that United Laboratories made sure that that extension cord had some testing and was therefore safe for me to plug in and not burn my barn down. The non-GMO project is more of a cause organization than it is a make sure I don't burn my barn down. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of them either. Uh, I guess, you know, non-GMO is is kind of, uh, would be a little bit inferior to, to the organic. They're trying to take a little bit of that premium uh, and still not, uh, you know, go all the way with full organic certification. Uh, you know, you can still use all kinds of chemicals and whatever else uh, on non-GMO stuff. Uh, yet, you know, I, I would agree with you, the, the, the cause, you know, when you start seeing yeah, you know, if you want to label a, a non-GMO corn or soy product that, that is, you know, typically would be GMO, that's fine. But when you start seeing that label slapped on things like salt and, and other goofy stuff that there's no possible way that, that it would be a, a GMO, um, it, it gets to be a, a little bit uh, too much noise in the market. There's a lot of noise in the marketplace, which ends up confusing an ignorant yeah. consumer base. And unfortunately, the crowd that aligns themselves with organic, even though you don't align yourself with them, have capitalized on the noise and the confusion uh, and the ignorance. Recent article about rampant fraud at the ports involving supposed organic product from overseas. You're a U.S. producer. You own expensive Midwest farmland right here, not too far from me. How do you feel about that? Yeah, that's uh, it's a bad deal all the way around. I mean, there's been rumblings for years about uh, the imports, um, about you know integrity issues, and, and I'm glad they finally came out with that report, and I'm glad that they're finally turning around uh, barges because you know when they bring in a, a barge in that's several hundred thousand bushels of, of organic corn or soybeans, I mean that that really uh, you know can can detriment the market. I tell all of my um, organic consuming friends, which I don't have a lot of them, admittedly, I say, hey, you know what? You can eat whatever you want. There's a consumer driven marketplace. I say that all the time. I said, but I think sometimes you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And they say, well, look at these kumquats. They're organic. And I said, those kumquats, I think, came from a third world country. They got thrown on a barge and put over here. I said, you realize that if you went to that country, you wouldn't drink the water. If you went to that country, you wouldn't use the bathroom. Now, you really believe that out in the back parts of that third world country, they're really, really adhering to the same standards of organic production that we are here in the United States of America. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that, you know, you look at the countries where it's coming from, you know, rampant fraud, rampant bribery, rampant, rampant you know, poverty, things like that. It, it's just tough to believe it. And, you know, I, I'm all about competition and stuff. If, if they can get an equivalent product and bring it here cheaper than I can produce it, go for it. But, you know, when you have a, a barge of organic corn that is 95% GMO, you know, that's that's not a, a small contamination problem. That's just outright fraud. It's, it's, up, it's absolute yeah. theft, and that's exactly right. It's not as though a couple of uh, gravity bed wagons uh, got yeah. sneaked in there. Uh, we're <laughs> yeah. talking about organic... Organic is being bastardized by foreign countries not having the same protocols and adherence to standards that we have here in the United States. Yep. And I mean, you know, I have to go through traceability. I have to be able to trace every truckload of, of grain that I sell has to be traced back to the bin where it's stored and traced back to the field where it's produced. You know, when they're bringing over a barge, all they have is one piece of paper for that whole barge. They cannot trace back to the individual farm. They cannot 
A lot of the areas where this is coming from, they don't even have enough certified organic acreage in the area to even fill half that boat. So where's it coming from? You know, there's a, there's a lot of things like that when it, it just doesn't happen. If I had a container ship that was half full of organic and I knew that I could make a whole bunch of money by making sure it was clear full of, quote, organic, I think if I was a the the ship uh, if I was the ship's captain in a third world country I probably know what I would do yeah. now again I don't do this to these people but I also am not a third world uh, agricultural operative that says my goodness they're going to pay a premium over there okay I have a ton of questions by the way talking to Andy Ambriel of Bio Steward Farms in Roanoke Indiana and also Noble County uh, Whitley County. Little Stark County, those are counties in northern Indiana. The kid goes a long way because he's got different landlords that want to have organic producers. Uh, he's obviously kind of an anomaly. This is not a normal thing. California, according to this article right here, is the lead agricultural organic state. Of course, they're the lead state for most things, as we all know. 38% of the U.S. total of sales came from California. So to be an Indiana corn, soybean, wheat, and barley operator is a bit of an anomaly. Do you feel like you're a, pilot, a country of one? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, you know, I grew up on a worm farm, so I'm kind of used to being the odd, odd man out. But, you know, you, you, get, uh, you get a few weird questions. You get a few weird stares. Uh, some people are interested in it and ask good questions. Some people don't want to talk to you because they perceive you as a threat. Some people think that you're some tree-hugging hippie weirdo. Um, it, it, it's interesting that the reactions that you get from people. I thought you were mostly just an internet aggressor when you would always fight with me. And to be honest, I think we should tell our listeners that when he started feuding with me on social media, when I said that there was, uh, you know, problems with organic and he, he, he took up the fight for his industry, which is fantastic. And remember, we're all, that's something we should all remember here. We are all in the business of agriculture. It doesn't matter whether you're organic or non-organic. We all ultimately are in the same industry. Do we bristle at some of the claims by one versus the other? One that always grabs me, you walk into Whole Foods and said, our food is healthier. Now, that's a little bit, that's a little bit of a, a challenge for me because I'm like, show me the proof on that. Your thoughts? You know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, a lot of those arguments are, are made and, you know, you can do a typical Google search and you can come up with all kinds of stuff from we're all going to die from Roundup to, you know, this is going to be the savior. So... Um, I guess, you know, there's a lot of, of good studies out there. Uh, there are some, some very good nutritional differences um, in, say, organic eggs or organic milk. Uh, a lot of those differences are attributed to uh, the way that the animal is raised, uh, that they are out uh, in the sunlight, that they are out on fresh pasture, um, and, and things like that. Um, I guess, you know... My personal opinion is, if I didn't think this was the best way to farm, why would I do it? Well, you you know what? You're doing it because this is your choice. It's your operation. That's the beauty of this. And you are making a living doing it. And it does make sense for you. So, again, talking to Andy Ambriel, organic farmer, you're saying, Damien, I've seen your stuff online. I say, hey, man, you know what? I'm also a defender of agriculture. And every now and again, you got to take a walk on the other side of the tracks and the truth is, you find out they grow worms, they sell worm poop, they they raise tomatoes, uh, and you know what? The kid farms 1,100 acres of corn, soybean, wheat, and barley here organically. I give the guy a lot of credit.
couple of thoughts here. Uh, I don't want to take your whole day, listeners. We do appreciate you joining us because today we're talking organic agriculture. As you know, on this show, every time you tune in, we'll talk about a different aspect of the business of agriculture. You give me 25, 30 minutes of your time, and I'll give you something that's interesting, informative, possibly even entertaining. A couple of things here, Andy, of BioSteward Farms. One or two lessons you've learned about being the farmer that you are doing your organic farming. What have you learned? Number one lesson has been uh, planning. Uh, with organic, you know, you have to have a diverse rotation. Uh, you can't just wake up in, in April and say, you know, what's the best price, corn or soybeans, and, and decide what to plant then. You know, I've got a three to five year rotation that, you know, that rotation feeds off of depending on what cover crop. Uh, you're following with with what cash crop um, can can make or break your yields. You know, I've I've had good years, I've had bad years, um, I've had complete disasters, and I've had some pretty good yields. So um, I like to think that uh, I, I learn something every year, um, and hopefully keep the disasters to a minimum. So minimize your disasters and plan uh, plan horizons are longer for you because of the adherence to the practices you have to have for your organic agriculture operation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the typical cash rent market here is is maybe one or two, or maybe you might get a three year uh, cash rent contract. Well, you know that won't even get me through the the transition process. So, you know, for for a piece of ground, you know, I need a commitment from a landlord of five to seven years to even think about it. Um, a lot, a lot of uh, landowners are, are hesitant. Um, they're not familiar with with organic. They might. I, I've heard. Well, you know, we'll try it for a year or two. Well, you know, trying it for a year or two is, isn't isn't gonna gonna cut it. So. No, you need obviously you need three years before you'll even legally have the the yeah. regulatory three year absence of the inputs that you're to avoid. My name is Damian Mason. You're joining me here today on the business of agriculture. I should say you've joined me because we're about to wrap things up with Andy Ambriel, Bio Steward Farms. Internet savvy young man, agricultural uh, pioneer, 29 years old, started out when he was 16 years old with organic tomatoes. I applaud him. Remember, we all do need to realize this. I truly believe that the future of agriculture will involve the best practices of conventional with the best technology and innovations that we can come up with, mixed with some of the things that got us here. Remember 10,000 years ago in the, in the Fertile Crescent, when we started cultivating the soil, we did it organically. When we started, though, taking seeds and making them better, that was through technology and innovation. So I believe the best practices of conventional and organic are going to be the future of this industry, where we're going to take uh, some of the things that Andy does here. Cover crops were something that organic really pushed. Uh, you know, reducing and, and controlling the amount of chemical out there on that soil was something that organic pushed us to do. Parts per million matter. So I believe the future involves both conventional and organic. Andy, closing thoughts for our listeners. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, when you look at the, the rapid adoption of, yeah, like you said, cover crops, um, you know, it's amazing what, what a few years of, of cover crops can do for your soil. You know, we've lost a lot of organic matter and a lot of topsoil in the past hundred years, and we're starting to pay for it. So, we, you know, we have to rebuild that. Uh, you look at the interesting uh, microbial technology coming out, uh, you know, what that life in the soil can do for us. There's still a lot of things we don't understand. That That's a, a really neat uh, emerging industry. Um, you know, you, you look at, at nutrients, how to, how to better manage nutrients, how to time applications so we're not 
over applying or, or anything like that. Um, there's, there's a lot of exciting stuff out there. Um, I, I'm looking forward to more autonomous equipment. Um, I think that's, that's going to be great, uh, especially for my farm since, you know, there's a lot more tractor hours uh, needed. Um, so, yeah, I think the future is bright and uh, a, lot, a lot of good things going on. Even though you, you kind of hear a lot of uh, doom and gloom in the news today in the in the ag economy, I think the doom and gloom is overrated. But you know what? I agree with you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. You're listening to a guy that I have a feeling is going to be a recurring guest. This is Andy Ambrill with BioSteward Farms. Yes, we went longer than usual today, but you know why? We were talking about organic, and you're saying, Damien, that's a little bit off your reservation, and it absolutely was. Hey, thanks a lot for joining us. Catch me again. We'll bring you insights, information with a dose of entertainment on the business of agriculture right here. Thanks a lot for joining us. Talk to you next time.